This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and today you're listening to episode 92. Today, I am talking with Nellie Vazquez Roland, and she is the co-founder and president of A Safe Haven. A Safe Haven's goal is to end homelessness by providing permanent housing solutions to help people on the path of self-sufficiency. Nellie is going to share with us in this episode where her heart for founding this organization alongside her husband came from and all the things this amazing nonprofit does to help people on their path to self-sufficiency. A Safe Haven's visible social and economic impact unites families, stabilizes neighborhoods, and creates vibrant, viable communities. Now, I want to let you all know, if you are inspired by Nellie and what they're doing at A Safe Haven, you can support them by signing up for their second global virtual run-walk to end homelessness. It runs anytime between Saturday, July 17th and Sunday, July 25th. We will put the link to register in the show notes at the illuminatepodcast.com. And if you want to be added to our newsletter that goes out every week with the show notes of these conversations, email Emma, Emma at sandyboyproductions.com and you'll get the link directly sent to your inbox from the show notes of this conversation. You can learn more at asafehaven.org. All right. If you enjoy this conversation, leave us a quick rating and review. And if you want to learn about all the shows in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network, make sure you check us out on Instagram, Sandy Boy Productions to learn more over there. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Nellie Vasquez. Okay, well, today on the Illuminate podcast, we have Nellie Vasquez on the show. Welcome to the show, Nellie. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. I am so excited to learn about a safe haven and everything you guys are doing over there. Can you give us a little bit of a backstory of how a safe haven began and what you all do there? Well, it's, um, I'll try to give you the short version. <laughs> okay, so um, my husband and I decided to start a safe haven back in 1994. Wow. Uh, we were grateful to have personally overcome some challenges in our lives that could have left, led us, you know, in dire situations. You know, in our families, we dealt with the issues of substance abuse. Uh, we dealt with the issues of being both first-generation Americans and having families that, you know, had a single breadwinner and, you know, somehow managed to, you know, raise a family of seven and, you know, and five and, you know, high risk communities, you know, so unfortunately, you know, we got a firsthand look at what happens when people are, you know, in environments that oftentimes lead people to poverty, to incarceration and even homelessness. Needless to say, you know, we had a firsthand look uh, what happens, you know, in communities that are traditionally at risk, where we experience a high dropout rate in our high schools, and we have uh, teen pregnancy, you know, running rampant in our communities. And again, the issues of substance abuse and alcoholism. 
uh, where many of my peers, you know, growing up ended up, you know, arrested, incarcerated, homeless, you know, uh, due to the fact that they just weren't getting the type of help that they needed at the time. So fortunate for both of us, you know, we um, got access to careers in finance. And uh, I was very fortunate because it was at a time where there really weren't too many women, especially not women of color in the field of finance. And then my, and my superpower I found out in the field was the fact that I had a knack for identifying emerging markets and emerging trends. And my specialty became really um, investing in Latin America, which at the time was an emerging market. Um, so, you know, uh, knowing how blessed we were and how fortunate we were, I started having children and we realized that it was more to life that we wanted to teach our kids than, you know, teaching them how to make money in the world, right? So we wanted to teach them the importance of giving back, you know, to those that much is given, much is expected, as we both learned, you know, throughout our our families, you know, uh, very faith-based and, um, you know, just teaching us that growing up. So we thought it's time, right, for us to start thinking about, uh, you know, how are we going to be good role models to our children in that way? So we knew what was personal to us was the issues of substance abuse and helping people that, you know, were stuck and trapped in in poverty situations, but uh, needed a little help along the way to realize their potential. So we started looking for charities. You know, this is going back into the 90s, Lindsay, you know, 1994. And we're thinking about, you know, who really out, is out there crushing it? I mean, who's not only giving them a place to sleep at night or a meal, you know, or a place to get some job training or some education, but who's really nailing it and helping them get everything they need in a way that's going to lead them to a path that's going to help them learn to support themselves or families, you know, and help them overcome the root causes of why they're in these situations in the first place. And uh, while we found some really wonderful programs that were doing, um, you know, various aspects and components of what people need, they were very siloed and fragmented from a philanthropic perspective, right? So we started thinking about, okay, well, what's government doing? We both, you know, we pay a lot in taxes. We know that we have a lot of money set aside for social services and food stamps and housing and things like that. And what we found out, Lindsay, following the money and following the way we were investing our resources as a nation, we realized that our systems were not only really broken and fragmented and disjointed, so anyone who ended up in one of those systems became pretty much dependent on those systems and had a hard time uh, breaking those systems to get their lives back on track. So unfortunately, those, the incentives weren't really there. In fact, they were the other way around, right? Uh, where people were, you know, uh, you know, holding on to dear lives to these benefits. And then we noticed that, you know, and people that we knew and the families that we knew, they even became generational. So we thought, okay, we don't have a, a private sector that's really thinking about this in a very holistic and comprehensive and integrated way. And we're not seeing it in our government uh, either, even when we try to find ways to show some type of return on investment and to return an impact. And um, so we thought, well, since we have this idea of how people should be helped, why not take our resources and invest in something ourselves in a way that was really going to help align with our values? So we started buying uh, and investing in the same types of communities that we came from, you know, buying in communities where they had abandoned buildings, um, boarded up you know, often um, centers of where crime and, you know, where it was being committed and eyesores in the community. And we thought, well, why don't we go in and buy these buildings, got them, renovate them, turn them the crown, into the crown jewels of the community and invite people that are willing to, you know, get some help uh, overcoming the root cause of their challenges 
uh, and let's in, invite people that you know we can hire uh, to help these people that do specialize in, in you know the various levels of care, such as social services, education, job training. So we did that. We thought we would do it for about six months to a year, and that would be our give back model. And eventually we would sell these buildings and we would hopefully get some type of return on our investment in that way, right? Um, unfortunately, Lindsay, unfortunately, uh, at the same time, we realized that, you know, there was really no exit strategy for this because mm-hmm. as more people started to learn about the work that we were doing, the more people came to a safe haven and said, you know, we also need help, not only for ourselves, but for our families. And um, we went on and continued to invest in buying more buildings with the same idea that, you know, someday we'll, well, right now we'll help a few people, you know, uh, during this time, you know, we don't ask them for any rent. All we ask is for their participation and their own self-sufficiency. And um, and they complied. And, uh, and we watched people that were in the depths of despair when they walked in the door with, you know, uh, having over, you know, dealt with addiction for decades or being incarcerated in and out of the system for decades. And all of a sudden, with the right kind of help that they were getting based on their individual needs, uh, we were able to connect them uh, to all the right wraparound services. But they did face barriers to employment. You know, so there was nothing we can do to help them, you know, erase their history in terms of their incarceration or their bad credit that prevented them from getting access to jobs and housing. So we said, well, why don't we start investing in buying and building some businesses and let's hire them ourselves. So we actually own a landscaping company. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's famous in Chicago. If you've been to Chicago, Lindsay, everyone always admires our beautiful medians on Michigan Avenue. Okay. Have you seen? Yeah. You know, I haven't Uh, been to Chicago in so long, but I've been there dozens of times. Okay. Well, mo- mo- a lot of people come to Chicago and often, you know, uh, comment on the beautiful flowers, the medians. You know, we do the rooftop at City Hall that's pretty famous. Uh, we also do a lot of the uh, landscaping through the school systems and even private sector business, such as Starbucks hires our, our landscaping company to do those beautiful flower pots that you see when, you know, you go for a cup of coffee on the, on the sidewalk, right? Cafe. Um, so anyway, that employs hundreds of people. And we also pay them uh, to do the job. They are, they learn a job skill. Uh, they learn how to manage their money. Uh, we also, one of our job training programs is a culinary arts training program. So we also have a catering business that does some of the top events here in Chicago as well. I mean, they do anything from a five-star meal to a back lunch, you know, for a golf outing. Um, so that's a lot of fun to be able to see people back, you know, in the workforce, learning a work ethic and, you know, getting paid for their for their, uh, you know, good day's work. Um, and then uh, also we have a staffing business. So today, you know, uh, we're pretty popular with the employers today because as they're having a really hard time finding employees, we are, you know, we have people that have gone through our system that are job ready. And uh, so we're filling up many of those warehouse jobs that are open right now. Restaurants are reopening. Uh, we're, you know, working with hotels. You know, so there's lots of different, you know, manufacturers that are hiring from a safe haven right now. And we're grateful that, you know, last year we placed over a thousand people into jobs during the pandemic. 
And um, they made over $27 million, you know, in earned income, and they paid over $4 million in taxes. So people don't realize homelessness is a very expensive problem. Mm. And we pay a lot of money in taxes, you know, in dealing with the homeless situation. Instead, we turn these lives around and they become positive, productive members of society. The other barrier that they faced is that they faced uh, housing barriers. So we build affordable housing. So we own and manage about 40 real estate developments throughout the Chicagoland area and have thousands of apartments and homes that people can move into. And uh, now we're, we feel like we're in the business of not only preventing homelessness, addressing homelessness, but also ending it in a way that truly becomes sustainable. Because if you move into one of a safe havens apartments, the likelihood of you having um, you know, uh, a relapse or something that's going to recidivate you back into this, you know, the homeless situation is is minimized because of the fact that we're, you know, we're there. Our property managers are trained, you know, to identify some of the signs that may be happening uh, in someone's home and household and family. And uh, we're, right, we're right there by their side, you know, ready to help them, you know, at a moment's notice. So that's what makes our apartments pretty special. Yeah, you know, when you were talking about the landscaping business and, and all the apartments, my, my first thought is you must have a really good staff on your hands at Safe Haven to manage all the individual things that you're doing because it, it's a lot. It is a lot. We have an amazing staff. And if the uh, pandemic didn't prove it, I don't know what will. <laughs> you know, So, um, you know, they were uh, amazing. I mean, everyone really rallied uh, and, you know, we really just understood the role that we were going to play as first responders. You know, people don't often think about homeless uh, workers, for example, as being first responders and public health workers. But uh, the pandemic really showed us that, you know, homelessness is a public health issue. And what was happening to the health of the homeless was happening to society. So if we had people that were on the streets, for example, uh, getting a diagnosed with COVID-19, you know, they're on our buses, they're in our, you know, uh, public bathrooms, they're, you know, in the public, you know, space. And, you know, if they're impacted, we're going to be impacted. So I think that really kind of like seared into our brains and all of our brains that homelessness is a public health issue. And um, and our team knew it, uh, and we were able to respond to the pandemic by uh, not only doing our everyday work of helping the homeless in every way that we possible uh, during the pandemic, you know, during the shelter-in-place orders, for example. Uh, we also rallied and stepped up and decided that, you know, who better uh, than us to open up what we call the COVID-19 medical respite. So as people were being diagnosed that were homeless or, you know, unsheltered or living in doubled up situations and couldn't isolate, for example, they were able to get referred to the A Safe Haven Medical Respite, which we teamed up with a local hospital, brought in a medical team, brought in our case managers and our behavioral health care team to help these individuals, not only help them heal from the diagnosis, but also let's find out why, what other issues they're dealing with while they're here and let's assess them completely in terms of their physical, their education, their work uh, experience and challenges and their housing situation. So we were able to you know, help over 700 people that were COVID-19 uh, positive through our medical respite and um, and the best part is that while we had them in our care for an average of about 10 days, we were able to discharge them to the appropriate level of care. So finally, they were being connected to the right services that were unique to the 
care situation. And ultimately, today, we're so proud to say that we have stories of people that were homeless for decades and in crisis and addicted and incarcerated for over 25 years that today, because they got COVID, were introduced to our model and, in our, and into our system. And today, they're working and they have their own apartments for the very first time in 25 years. So it's just lots of examples and stories like that that I can tell you uh, about what it means to get people connected to an ecosystem that's integrated, that's comprehensive, that's individualized, and is designed to foster sustainable mm. success for people short and long term. And like I said, not just individuals, but also if there's a family involved, the entire family uh, so, you know, we're also proud to say that we're the largest provider of housing and services for military veterans. Let's not forget, you know, so are you based, Lindsay, in Indiana? Yeah. I thought I read that. Oh, awesome. So we just did a press conference uh, last week in Indiana uh, to announce the we are now taking applications for our very first facility uh, housing military veterans in Hobart, Indiana. So we're going to have 75 apartments that hopefully will be opening up in September if everything goes right, fingers crossed. You know, it is construction. There's always delays, yeah. but hopefully yeah. not. The good, But uh, we did announce that we're now taking uh, applications so people can apply uh, by going to the VA or going to kmapm.com, which is the property management company that's managing the property for us. Oh, that's so great. Hey friends, a quick break here. I want to thank a sponsor of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network, and that is Prevenex. If you're looking for a place to get clinically effective supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health, Prevenex is the perfect place for you. This is where I personally get all of my vitamins and supplements, including vitamins for my own kids. And they also have a really amazing protein powder as well that provides you with all sorts of vitamins and minerals. One thing I love about Prevenex is they have a give back program. So for every bottle of Supervites Kids Vitamins that you purchase, they donate a bottle to malnourished children around the world. They're doing really good with their business. They're giving back, they're doing good work, and they make really good quality products. You can save 15% when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code Lindsay15, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 at checkout. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Nellie. Um, okay, I have a question regarding homelessness and how we as um, people that are part of communities that have people who are experiencing homelessness in them can help. Because a little side note, I used to work for Back on My Feet. Are you familiar with Back on My Feet? Yes, I've heard of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so they use running to help people build self-sufficiency in their lives. And then they but they partner with a facility like a safe haven. Um, and then they help place with job placement and stuff like that. So, so like here in Indianapolis, they are partnered with Wheeler Mission, which is our largest homeless facility in the state of Indiana. And then also HVAF of Indiana, which is a homeless veterans facility. Um, 
But, you know, when I worked there, one of the things I learned was just what you're talking about. It's like there has to be a full picture model so that people are uh, provided with tools so that they can be self-sufficient, right? And and that's why that running was that small piece. It's like getting up every day and doing something like running. You're holding yourself accountable. Your team is holding you accountable. Um, I, ju- I just learned so much when I worked for that organization. But, you know, I, I also, um, my husband and I donate money to a local organization here called The Poor House. And that is a homeless outreach organization here in Indian, Indianapolis as well. And one of the things that the the woman who founded the organization has always says is like, you can't just like go around handing out money to people who are experiencing homelessness. Like that's not going to fight the problem. So I'm curious your feelings and thoughts on that because, you know, a lot of times when people come downtown from the suburbs or something like that and they see someone on the street asking for money, they're just like, oh yeah, here's $20. But like, is that's probably not really helping the systemic issue. But is it okay? You know, like if that's what their heart wants to do, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, people got to do what makes them feel good, right? But um, at the same time, you know, I also want to do things that make me feel good. But I also want to know that I'm contributing to helping them. You know, there's that old adage, Lindsay, which we've all heard. Uh, and that is, you know, you can give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. And um, or you can teach them how to fish and they'll eat for a lifetime. You know, so I don't think there's anything wrong with giving them fish to eat for the day. But when you connect that thought process uh, with giving them information about where they can go to get help, then you're really helping that individual, um, you know, short and long term, you know, get back on their feet. Right. In a way that's going to be sustainable. So what I do is at ACA Cave and we actually have when people do make donations, we send them. Uh, some car- home we call homeless cards, where when they do feel compelled to give someone on the street, you know, a dollar or five dollars, you know, to get them, you know, anything you know they need, you know, in the moment, uh, I also give them that card, mm-hmm. you know, and say, look, it's I'm going to give you this five dollars, yeah. but here's here's some information about this place that you can go to. You can call them. Uh, you could use that money for a bus ride. You could use it for, you know, a, a cab. Uh, but go there. And if you, you know, I really want to help you in a way that's going to ultimately help you realize your potential because I see so much in you and so much uh, potential, you know, beneath, you know, what we see today. And, uh, and you know, and, and I think that people have never been, uh, you know, told that they have potential. They never have been told that, you know, you believe in them, right? And, you know, it's funny, um, most people that we serve in an organization always walk away saying, you know what, you believed in us before we believed in ourselves. And that's what it takes for any successful person, doesn't it? I'm sure you had someone in your life, I know I had someone in my life that took a chance on me, right? And said, you know, I think you can do this. I mean, the idea that someone hired me to work in the field of finance, you know, when I was like 21 years old and right out of college, you know, I thought, wow, that person really believed in me. And, you know, most people when, you know, when you have someone that takes a chance on you, don't want to let that person down. Right. So they're like, well, boy, if they believe in me, then, you know, I don't want to let them down and, you know, uh, and um, prove them, you know, wrong. I want to help them, you know, really have uh, a reason to believe in me. So there's, um, you know, so to answer your question, you know, we do give people I do believe in giving people a little something. Uh, to get them, you know, buy for, you know, the next meal, but do it with the intention of giving them also information on where they can go to get help, uh, ultimately to help uh, break their cycle of 
addiction or homelessness or whatever it is that they're dealing with. I know a lot of people who are living on the streets and are living uh, and that are living a life of homelessness. They choose that, you know, like they know of a safe haven. They know of Wheeler Mission. And for one reason or another, they choose to stay on the streets. And so, you know, when we give people that information, it's like, well, what if they already know about it? Do you just continue serving in the way of showing them love by bringing them a a sandwich at lunchtime? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, um, unfortunately, when people are dealing with mental health issues, right, uh, we're making the assumption that they're making logical decisions. Right. And they're not, you know, and they're not. Um, Not everyone that comes to a safe haven is there of their own free will, you know, uh, at first. Um, Sometimes, you know, we have relationships with the criminal justice system, for example, so in um, in Chicago and in Cook County, uh, Illinois, for example, we work with the Cook County uh, uh, jail system. So as people get arrested and uh, they can't make bail uh, or if, even if they did, they have nowhere to go, um, the jail sends them to our program. So they're in our program. We're in an electronic monitor. And uh, during that time, you know, they can they get the choice of either you go to jail or you go to a safe haven. So if they choose a safe haven, they come to our program. Uh, we're an electronic monitor. And then we take the time to take uh, a full assessment of each individual that comes to our programs. Uh, some people need treatment. Some people need education. Some people need job training. Some people need all of that, you know. And uh, and the good news is that this is happening while they're waiting for their court dates to come up, which typically takes months, right, because there's such a huge backlog. The longer they stay with us, the better the results, right? So uh, while they may have become to our program because it was they were given really an ultimatum, you know, you either go to jail or you go to a safe haven. Uh, but the good news is, while they're there and they end up going to court with the report from a safe haven that you know, shows their progress. For example, they completed a 90-day treatment program. They got their GED. Now they're enrolled in a job training program. The judges tend to basically uh, reduce or eliminate the, the sentences that are facing uh, for longer prison time because of that progress. Now, then it becomes their choice on whether or not they want to come back to a safe haven. Uh, and uh, most people do make the choice and request that we keep a bed available for them in the event that the judge uh, does release them. So um, they make that choice, again, of their own free will. So, again, they get uh, introduced to the program, but once they understand it and they start to see and witness people that, like their peers, uh, leaving a safe haven with, you know, their head up, held up high, you know, a little pep in their step, ready to go to work every day, ready to get, you know, their next, their apartment, you know, they start to really uh, believe it. So, unfortunately, so many of the people that are homeless have been let down by the system. You know, they've been told a million times, you know, this is going to this is going to help you. Right. And this is going to rehabilitate you or this is going to be, you know, corrective, you know, uh, action, you know, prison. Right. Think about it. It's called corrections. Right. (laughs) So so I think that um, they've really been let down by the system and and even uh, young people that have come out of the juvenile justice system. They want nothing to do with an institution. So once they come into our program, they start to see that 
we really do a follow up on everything we say we're going to do and they do they do believe it so and listening to their peers and understanding that people that have been through our programs have been through tough times too living on the streets thinking that that was just the way things were you know those were the cards that they were dealt and they were really they were really at the acceptance stage of this is how it is uh, to find out that coming through our program that there actually was more you know, that they had in them uh, that they can realize in terms of potential. I mean, I just did a book club conversation on a book we just released called Healing yesterday. Mm. And one of the guests on the show with me was one of the contributing authors. It's an anthology featuring 12 stories of people that have been through our programs. Um, a lot, most of them probably fit that definition of people that have just made that decision to stay homeless, right? Uh, the woman I had on the call with me was homeless for 36 years. Imagine that since she was a teenager, she started using heroin. So she talks about, oh, yeah, you know, going into abandoned buildings, you know, and, you know, just putting a blanket over her head to keep the rats and the roaches from, you know, uh, climbing over her face while she's sleeping. I know it sounds so gross to talk about it, but that was her reality in her life and her truth. And um, and she was arrested 120 times and she was, you know, overdosed over 100 times in the emergency room. Uh, due to her heroin addiction, her family tried everything, including paying for expensive treatment programs, you know, bribing her with expensive cars to try to see if that would get her to stop, sending her on expensive vacations. Nothing worked. I mean, heroin is a pretty, a pretty, uh, has a pretty good grip on people's lives, and they make decisions that they would never make, and you know, and their um, if their mind were you know clear and present, and you know, she even had four children while she was homeless, and you know, did not raise any of them, and. Um, so today, you know, uh, what happened was the, she was in prison seven different times. She came out of prison uh, the final time, and the judge suggested that she come to a safe haven. So she came uh, upon release. And um, thankfully, we were in a position to help her. She stayed with us for eight months. This was she left our program in two, that March of 2012. Uh, today, uh, she is reunited with her entire family. And while she wasn't there for her children's lives, she's there for her grandchildren's lives. Uh, she actually uh, has uh, been promoted from the same place we got her a job. She has been promoted, now works, you know, in an instit- uh, a university and uh, works in the medical behavioral health care di- division, right? And is just amazing and giving back. And I mean, there's lots of stories like that of people that have gone on and, you know, have crushed it in terms of living the American dream. And this book is filled with 12 stories of people that are all living the American dream. Three of them are entrepreneurs. You know, three of them are actually employees of mine that started out homeless, but now run departments, including uh, one woman who came in from a criminal justice program, which was referred from prison. And today she runs that division Uh, after 16 years. uh, She's moved her way up. And then we also have uh, someone that was also came from that Cook County Jail program that I described uh, 11 years ago that is now our chef, you know, and uh, has, we, you know, so we've helped, you know, send them to college, get them degrees, get them, you know, completely uh, trained to work in the field and with the credentials. And uh, and they're the ones that are, again, my, my superstars, you know, so. It's a, a book I hope people pick up. It has become a bestseller on Amazon, but it changes uh, everyone's understanding of, you know, what leads people to homelessness. It's not a one size fits all. It's not a homogenous population. You can be people that have grown up in the North Shore with, you know, access to every opportunity in the world and resources or people that have grown up on, you know, the South side of Chicago that, you know, only knew that way of life, you know, because that's the life their parents had. 
So uh, to us, it doesn't matter, you know, how old you are uh, or how long you've been in crisis. The good news is, you know, we've got to start somewhere and we meet you where you're at. And um, we watch people every day leave our organization, you know, again, with the ability to support themselves and your family. And, and we know it's going to be sustainable because we don't let them leave until they really, really are solid. Uh, and if, for example, if there is a relapse, you know, or something like that, it happens, you know, they're always welcome to come back uh, and start over again. So it, uh, we house about 5,000 people a year, Lindsay. So, you know, we've been doing this for 26 years. So there's hardly an issue or problem, you know, that we haven't seen at this point. And, um, and we know that our, our model is uh, something that can and should be scaled and replicated in every city in America that needs uh, a plan and a strategy and a model that can consistently help people in a way that, you know, coordinates the right services and gets people on their feet with the ability to be employed and permanently housed in a way that's sustainable. Well, and you mentioned like this could be replicated in every city and state. It's like, I I think that everybody who is capable, if you think you have a heart for people walking through homelessness or overcoming it, we should all find a local organization where we live and we should all be giving to that organization. On top of the personal human interactions that you might want to have with people when you're walking to work or wherever when you come down to the city, but like there's no reason that if we are capable, we shouldn't all be putting 20 bucks a month or whatever it is to a local organization who is, is fighting this issue. Exactly. I think that, you know, we all have a voice too. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, uh, I think that today we live in a society where it's kind of driven by, you know, every decision that's happening uh, with resources and priorities has to do with movements. Right. So uh, unfortunately, we represent a population that isn't exactly going to go out there and, you know, march on their own behalf. They aren't going to go out there and protest. They aren't going to boycott. You know? So so how do we do it? It is absolutely, uh, you know, the public will uh, that is going to be needed to, you know, be a voice and an advocate, you know, and for those that are politically inclined, you know, and even if you've never been politically inclined, just making a simple phone call to your alderman and going on the record and saying, hey, you know, make sure that, you know, our city is setting aside uh, resources and that we are scouring, you know, um, the planet, you know, the landscape of, you know, uh, who is crushing it, who is really getting this done right? Because one of the things that's missing, you know, is really um, uh, creating a, a universal standards of care, you know, for a delivery system that prevents homelessness, addresses it and ends it. So, you know, we need more than good intentions. We need to actually have, again, a, a plan and a model uh, that actually can consistently produce positive outcomes, you know, um, and that's one of the things that we found, you know, was back in 1994 is that, you know, there wasn't a lack of of um, of hearts, you know, there were people that were, you know, generous, you know, and wanting to give back and make a difference. So I say, you know, do your homework, you know, and find out, you know, where, where are we um, either giving to that we may be perpetuating the problem without realizing it, or we may be actually making a real sustainable and measurable visible impact on reverse engineering the problem. Uh, so our biggest competition, I always say, is the entrenched systems, right? So if you think about, you know, who are the business, what are the institutions that made a lot of money and created a lot of jobs, 
you know, uh, dealing with the problem. You know, I often say it's, you know, many times it's the criminal justice system, right? Mm -hmm. So they're the ones that have, you know, it takes $40 billion a year to run prisons, right? And uh, and 70% of the people that are in prisons are repeat offenders, right? Uh, and the underlying issue for those repeat offenders are often nonviolent. You know, their their crimes uh, due to issues such as mental and behavioral health care issues. So, you know, again, just looking at, you know, who's really helping uh, reduce the rate of recidivism in the prison system. Since we work with the prison system, I can tell you that the vast majority of people that come through our program, just like that story that I just mentioned to you, um, stay out of prison and don't become repeat offenders. And that's what we have to think about is, you know, how are we dealing with this issue and who has really got a plan and a strategy and a, proven, a proof of concept that is actually, uh, again, healing uh, the root causes and empowering people to, again, realize you know, their God-given potential. Um, so, you know, you mentioned back on my feet, you know, I mean, I believe that one of the things that we do at ACP Haven is a powerful way that anybody and everybody can be involved in. Every year, Lindsay, I actually produce since 2010, a run walk to end homelessness. And I just used to do it here in Chicago. And uh, my dream was to, you know, someday go global. I'm like, I would love to see the whole world, you know, uh, for a one day, right? Just get up and say, okay, today I'm running on behalf of, you know, helping the homeless. I mean, every cause in America has had a run, you know, uh, specific to their cause. But at the time, there were no runs or walks for homelessness, you know, and I thought, well, you know, we've got to reduce the stigma, you know, associated with the disease, which is really the issue uh, that has been a big barrier to helping us, you know, grow is the fact that the stigma and the fact that we just don't have enough people that are willing to step out in faith and help, you know, support this cause. So anyway, we, um, so we're on year 10 last year, right? What happened? Of course. The pandemic and everything is being canceled. Our event that we had planned, you know, uh, for the previous six months, you know, was on the fence, you know, of being closed. And I thought, oh, no, I can't let this happen. It's our 10th year. And what we do know is that there's going to be a huge uh, surge in homelessness as part of the aftermath of this pandemic, right? So we thought, well, how do we do this? And then we decided that, you know, we had heard that things were going virtual. And we said, well, let's do what we can do about going virtual with a run. So when we talked to our event planners, we said, hey, we want to go virtual. And it was like one of the first times they'd ever decided to do anything virtual. We said, let's go and make it happen. We cannot cancel this. So we ended up within three weeks pivoting and promoting the event as a virtual uh, event. And since, Lindsay, it was virtual, I realized I don't need to limit it to a morning. I don't need to limit it to just Chicago boundaries. Let's go for it. And I don't need to limit it to a 5K, which is what I was doing, right? So I said, well, let's give people the choice to sign up for a 5K, 10K, half marathon or marathon. Uh, let's uh, host it for a whole week and let's go global on it. So it became our most successful run walk to end homelessness ever. And uh, this year is uh, is destined to exceed even last year's numbers in terms of participation and funds raised. So what it does, again, is it, it's galvanizing people around the world that share this common interest in this issue of homelessness. And it's giving us, you know, a mechanism to go out there and show up, you know, on behalf of this cause, even if, though it's virtual and you can do it right, you know, as you walk outside your front door, we do have an app that people can uh, download where we're, you know, again, they're tracking their time uh, that they're running or they're walking. And again, they're doing it at their own pace. They could do it by themselves. They could do it with their coworkers, with their families. And um, and God knows with this pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. the mental health issue has gotten really out of control. And 
exercise is one of the best things you can do to improve your uh, serotonin levels, your dopamine levels, your endorphins, you know, which happen naturally in our body to improve, you know, our outlook on life. So I think that, you know, it's just such a big win-win. And um, hopefully we can get the folks, you know, that listen to the, your podcast here to join us. You can go to the website, run to end homelessness, all spelled out, run to end homelessness.org. And, um, you know, you get a pretty cool swag t-shirt, you know, uh, for signing up and a gator that also doubles as a cool headband that I use. And um, I think that, you know, the more people we have join us again, the more our leadership that make these policy decisions are going to pay attention and the uh, and the closer they will get to really paying serious uh, attention and making a serious plan uh, to, you know, support ways to uh, prevent address and end homelessness once and for all. I mean, the homeless population only makes up 1% of our, you know, uh, our country's population. We can do this. Oh, that's so good. I'm curious, we'll wrap up here, but I'm curious, like, when you and your husband decided to start this in 1994, like, looking back, it seems like such a big, like, a big thing to do and, and a scary thing to do. And now that you've been doing it for, what, 20 years, 20, 20, 26 years, 26 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I feel like oftentimes we wander through life wondering like, what is our purpose in life? And you you go through the everyday motions and you, you try to cling to things that you're passionate about, but like you kind of, you went all in on this. So what is your message to other people who are out there looking for their way to help and their way to find what they're passionate about and do something about it? Well, I think what motivates people oftentimes is when when issues are personal, you know, and for us, it was personal. You know, we uh, we went through these challenges of not homelessness, thank God. Right. But uh, the issues that cause homelessness. And we knew people that fell through the cracks, you know, and ended up in those situations. And uh, so we were grateful to have been blessed. You know, we were introduced to careers that, you know, allowed us. Um, the opportunity uh, to, you know, have the resources to do something about something that we cared about. And uh, to be honest with you, Lindsay, we didn't go out looking for the cause. I tell people the cause found us Mm -hmm. because once we started, you know, helping people and we realized that, you know, our model was, you know, really, really uh, unique uh, and it was helping people in a way that they needed to be helped. Uh, and, you know, something, an element that we brought to the table that really didn't exist at the time either was the fact that, you know, we came with a with a business mindset, you know, and really uh, understood that every dollar that we spent, you know, was an investment. Right. And we needed to know that we were getting some type of return on that investment in terms of making a real impact that we could measure. And again, that we can vi- visualize, you know, see as in reality is happening. So um, it was, you know, for us, you know, the idea of being business people that came into the social field of social services was unheard of. You know, I mean, people were like, well, what do you mean you're going to try to help people get jobs? Don't you see that, you know, they are uh not in a position to do that and will never be. I mean, they've been homeless for 10, 20 years. You know, your expectations are like akin to asking someone that's in a wheelchair to walk. As you can imagine, you know, for uh, 26 years ago, I mean, the stigma associated with homelessness was so big, so bad. And people that were coming out of the prison system, you know, we, we just were a judgmental society. I mean, that's just how we were. And I would, and I was the same way, you know, uh, when I, and, until I started to really, uh, meet some of these people and hear their stories, you know, in terms of, you know, how they became homeless, 
you know, I understood that, oh, my God, you know, the things that they've gone through. I mean, homelessness can happen to any one of us. And it's, um, you know, you just admire the courage to, you know, go on. So for me, um, you know, uh, you know, when you go when you go into a cause, you know, there are a tremendous amount of headwinds, tremendous amount of challenges. And for 16 years, we never even had a public press conference. We never did a media interview because. As it, we didn't want to call attention to ourselves, you know, because it would only bring, um, uh, you know, I think stigma, you know, there's NIMBY issues, you know, that people had with the fact that we were even in the community. So um, it didn't do it didn't do much good for us to, you know, try to advertise and promote and say, hey, everybody, let's do this. You know, thankfully today, you know, people are becoming much more compassionate and much more understanding. And it's everywhere, you know, so if homelessness is not in your community just wait it's coming because this is uh the momentum behind uh the growth of homelessness the staggering number of people that are becoming homelessness you know is is just unbelievable but the good news is together we can fix it you know we can fix and replace the broken and entrenched systems uh, and replace them with uh, with models that have public and private partnerships like ours. You know, we have a public uh, funding stream, we have private philanthropy stream, and we also have the social enterprises that generate resources for the foundation. So we believe in, in you know, helping build our own model to become sustainable so that if we do get hit with a budget cut, right, from a state, which happens all the time, or, or a government agency, you know, it doesn't, you know, completely sink us, right? We actually have mechanisms to help fill those gaps. And uh, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, one of the things that we're advocating for is that we believe that homelessness, now that we all agree with this pandemic that homelessness is a public health issue, let's make it official. So we should have Medicaid, you know, and health insurance companies cover the cost of services like ours so that as people come out of, you know, situations and qualify for Medicaid or still have their insurance because thankfully they're still employed and haven't lost their job yet, but maybe are facing a subspace issue, that they should be connected to a program and a model that's going to ultimately help them, you know, uh, overcome, you know, uh, those diseases and the those challenges, right? So I think that this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity the pandemic has given us. So every city and every state right now has an abundance of resources that are being allocated to them to actually, uh, you know, address these issues. How they spend that money will make a world of difference on whether or not we succeed. There's many states that have invested uh, money into helping address the homeless situation. Unfortunately, those same states that have spent over a billion dollars in some cases uh, to address homelessness have seen their homeless numbers rise. And, uh, you know, we have to really be thoughtful, again, and strategic in the way we deal with this. And I think that, you know, uh, people should do their homework. I invite people to look at our website, asafehaven.org. Learn more. If you like it, get in touch with us. You know, we would invite you to either volunteer be a donor or be an ambassador, you know, even if you're a social media ambassador, go online and say, you know, share, share a, a post or like a post or tell your friends or join this run, walk to end homelessness. You know, Lindsay, I'm a runner and I'm, a, you know, and uh, I've done triathlons. I've done a couple of marathons, you know, I'm, and I'm a firm believer that, you know, there's a direct correlation with my personal, personal, uh, 
running experience and my mental health. And, you know, the bonus is, hey, I get a little bit more in shape, you know, than I was before, you know, so that to me is the bonus, but I really do it for my mental health. It's where I get most of my ideas It's when I'm going for a nice long run. And uh, so again, doing this run, you know, and doing uh, the, the, um, the a safe haven and that helping uh, the homeless are my two passions that I've been able to combine and 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 uh, unite and join in a way that you know are aligned in our goals to uh, again help raise more awareness and support uh, for the homeless. And by the way, let's by volunteering and giving back and making a difference. Studies show that's the key to our own happiness. That's so true. why not why not exercise? Get ourselves mentally fit, physically fit, and give back and let's 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 all be happy together right and uh and that's what we taught our children who now work with a safe haven uh and we hope other people invite their children to do the same in fact we actually have children of uh people that we know who are the ones that are telling their parents <laughs> to get involved and and do more in the community and are partnering with us too so it's it's fun to see that you know the next generation you know, is really, you know, uh, it's not lost on them, you know, what's happening uh, to people in crisis, and they want to help. And it's nice to be a resource for them and an outlet for them to do that. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's so good. Um, Okay, well, we're going to wrap up here. I've got two end of podcast questions for you. And we will direct everyone to your website and the run um, in our show notes here. But do you have a, um, do you have a best most recent book that you have read? I know we talked about your book Healing, but are there any other books of inspiration that that you've read as of late? Well, I think um, I just had um, uh, an author uh, of a book that I wrote, uh, Speak to My Staff, which was amazing. Um, Dr. Rady, R-A-T-E-Y, wrote a book called Spark. Mm. Have you read it, Lindsay? No, I haven't. Oh, you'll love it. Okay, so it's um, it's a, it's a book that talks about. He's a neuroscientist from Harvard, and uh, talks about how exercise helps improve your own mental health. Right. So he makes the the uh, the scientific case for me. So he actually uh, talks in the book about how it helps address you know uh, the cravings for addiction. Uh, it helps uh, address you know ADHD issues. It helps uh, address the um, memory issues, for example, all you know, Alzheimer issues, and um, there's just so many things that you know, uh, exercise does for you uh, that are things. He he talks about how exercise is uh, better than Prozac, you know, for dealing with depression, you know, and uh, also than Ritalin for dealing with focus. So I think that this is um, a book that I would recommend to everyone. Um, it's called Spark. Okay, I love it. Okay, and then what's your last message to leave with our audience today? Well, I hope that everyone listening today found our conversation with you, Lindsay, informative and hopefully a little inspiring. And again, I invite everyone to uh, take a look at what we're doing at asafehaven.org and, you know, think about, you know, what role you'd like to play on this issue of homelessness and uh, in a way that, again, is designed to foster success, right? So, uh, giving back uh, to helping the homeless in a way that fosters success amplifies our ability to help move people out of homelessness and into uh, permanent self-sufficiency. And I think that's the goal that we all should strive for. And, uh, and that's the work that we do every day of, uh, on the front lines at a safe haven. And uh, we cannot, uh, we cannot uh, you know, tell you how important it is 
you know, uh, to get involved and be a voice for this important issue. This is a pivotal moment and uh, what we do today will define uh, the future of how our nation uh, does on behalf of addressing and solving this problem. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Nellie, for coming on the show. You all go check out A Safe Haven and learn about what they're up to. Uh, Make sure you check out their second global virtual run walk to end homelessness as well. That goes July 17th to July 25th. Asafehaven.org is where you'll find all that information. You can find us if you want to connect with the Illuminate podcast on Instagram. We are the Illuminate podcast over there. You can connect with me personally. I am Lindsay Hine 626. I also host the podcast, I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine, and the podcast, Why Is Everyone Yelling? One's a running podcast and one is a parenting podcast. We also have the Up and Running podcast in the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network and the Urban Pharmacy. Check us out on Instagram, Sandy Boy Productions, to learn more about all of the podcasts in the network. We would love to connect with you. All right. I hope you learned something. I hope you were inspired today. Have a great rest of your day, and we will see you next week on the Illuminate Podcast.